All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday Night Bible Study. And uh, we were been talking about the book by Nabil Koresh. He um, seeking Allah, finding Jesus. We'll be digging into that in parts seven and eight tonight. But first, we're going to start out with a word of prayer. Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all the good things that you've given to us, and we just thank you for how much you care for us. Help us to be listening to you and ready uh, to live for you, Lord. And we know that these times are challenging, but we ask, Lord, that it would be good examples and good help, Lord, to others around us. Help us to be wise and careful with all that you have given to us. And Lord, be with us this night. Open up your word and the things that we have to say here. Help us to have learning hearts and minds and have kindness towards those around us, Lord, and be good examples, good witnesses, and uh, good ambassadors with our faith, Lord. We thank you very much for what you've done for us. In your name, amen. Okay, so in talking about this book, um, for those of you who may not be caught up, uh, Nabil is the main character, written about his experiences, and he was a Muslim, very deeply steeped, okay, in tradition. And this tends to be the way Muslim, uh, the Muslim faith is. It's a lot about tradition, and there's not, tradition's not all bad. Okay, We all have traditions of different sorts. We have things we've done for a long time as a nation. Okay, Things we've done as a town. Things that you do as schools or as families. At Christmas time you have traditions. Um, traditions in and of themselves are a good thing. And oftentimes they are what keeps it going, perpetuates learning and things over uh, as each generation comes along. So... Very much, Nabil's faith was generational. His father and grandfather before him taught him what to do. And we talked about this when, by the time he was six years old, he read the entire, or was read to, the entire Koran, okay? Which is, I'll use this loosely and say it's the equivalent to the Muslims of the Bible as the Bible is to the Christians, okay? But we will talk about a little bit more of what that means tonight, all right? We've gone through a bunch of different parts and pieces of their faith, but essentially, um, can you tell me things that we have in common with the Muslim faith? Okay, monotheistic is one, which means what? Okay. Monotheism, I'll say. Mono is one. The is God. Okay. So, uh, and basically, that's believing that there is one God. All right. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Lots of prayer. Now they have a very traditional thing they do. And what do they do? And how do they do it? How do they pray? They 
They pray facing Mecca. How many times a day? Five. Five times a day. Okay. And they have oftentimes a little prayer mat or, or something. They're very traditional in what they do. Now, why are they traditional? Why do they do that so faithfully? One thing I will say is they are faithful about what they do. How many Christians do you know pray five times a day? Stop everything they do, no matter where they are. And in front of people, if necessary, sit down or kneel down and pray. You probably don't know many or any. Okay? But why is it that they do this? As you read through the book and and look through the book, or listen on our feed uh, as Jacob reads it to you, you can see their faithfulness often comes from something deeper. They believe something very deep. And what they believe is that there's kind of a big... Well, that's crooked. Let's not do that. That kind of messes it up. There's a big scale. You like my scale? It's nice. Okay? Big scale here. And in their life, their God, whose name is? Allah. Okay? And what does Allah mean? God. Okay? <laughs> it means God in there. <laughs> okay? So, that's it. They, they, they say Allah is God's name. Well, it's because in Arabic, means God. Right? So, it's not... Like they're saying, he has this special name that you don't know. It's just Allah. It means just God. Okay? So, they're saying Allah, or God, is looking at them in their whole life. And they are being balanced out. What do they have to have? More good deeds than bad deeds. Okay? They want more good deeds than bad deeds. Okay? And this is... I know, I spelled it weird. So, Okay? And this is the belief of many, many people in the world. Not just Muslims. They believe that God is looking at them, watching over them, and making sure... Oh, you did one little... And there are people under the Christian faith who don't really understand the Christian faith, okay, but at least labeled under the Christian faith, that believe, well, if I do enough good, then God will accept me. All right? But that's not correct. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. Okay? But the Muslims believe this, and they believe that your life is on a big scale. And so why do they pray every day? Five times a day. Oh man, let's let's keep piling up, right? We want to add stuff. If I do this every day, and if the other guy next to me, he does it five times a day, and I don't do it five times a day, well, God's going to look at him and say, he did it, what about you? Okay? And so, within that, it is sort of, uh, within the Christian faith, there's there are people who tend to go this way, and they call them legalists, okay? 
which means you have to do everything in the law. And if you mess up once, every time you mess up, it gets weighed more and more and more on you. All right? Legalism knows nothing about mercy. Nothing about the grace of God. Okay? And I'm not saying they're not merciful to people. They can be nice to a person. And, but they don't understand the true mercy or grace of God, which comes from Him saying, yeah, you're all sinners. But I covered you. Because guess what? You, you couldn't do enough good in the whole world to outweigh the things you did. To outweigh one sin. Because one sin took you from the spot of being perfect. Okay? As a human, one sin took you from the spot of being perfect. Which means you can never reach perfection again. Right. When you're born sinner, you really can't do much good, can you, at that point? And you'll find it is so deep in our nature that we don't even understand pieces of it. Or even know, or we're not aware we're doing it. Okay? So that is what they believe is that there's you gotta get enough good so that when you get up there and you stand before Allah, and that's one other thing they believe in, is a judgment, right? Their belief is I have enough good, I'll make it through the judgment. A Christian who knows and understands the Bible, well, how do we get through the judgment? Ask Him to forgive our sins. The only way through. He forgives you. He covers your sin. Okay? So there's where a major difference is. Okay? But that's true in many places or many belief systems out there. A lot of people believe, if I do enough good in the world, it's okay. Okay? I can, I can kind of outweigh it. And God's saying, you can't. You can't do it. Alright? So... Another thing that that Nabil is taught about the Muslim faith is that it is a peaceful religion. Is that true? No. Do you know any Muslims? Okay, you might know some. Do you know any that are not peaceful? Personally, maybe you've heard them in headlines, okay, out there, but probably not. You know people that are, live in our Western culture in some way, and not that they've totally accepted our Western culture, but there are many of them that are not interested in a non-peaceful existence. They they believe and are taught that there is right and wrong. And you don't do things, okay? You don't do... You don't murder. You don't murder, okay? You don't kill. You are careful and kind to people. And they're taught that. And they're taught to be very... Um, calculating about their existence. They're taught to be specific. They're taught to go out and learn all that they can. You'll find many of them in their universities. Okay? If you go to a big university, you will find many people that have the Muslim faith. And so the whole idea is this. 
not to say Muslims are bad. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Nabil is talking about. Nabil is talking about his experience of what he grew up in and how he didn't really truly understand or was taught something a little different than the actual core beliefs of what you find in history about the Muslim faith. All right? And when he got to that, he actually really grappled with it. And he said, I'm trying to find out the truth. And when you seek the truth out, really truly seek the truth out, God will help you find it. So Nabil looked, and he did not believe in Christianity. Again and again and again, no matter the evidence is brought up against him. But his biggest, the biggest, most powerful thing in his life was that he had a friend. And his friend's name was David. And David constantly, though they talked about it, always treated him with respect, kindness, did argue with him about things, but did it in a respectful way. David believed in the Bible. He believed he, he was a, a Christian. Okay, he, believed, he was a child of God. He believed very deeply in basic, fundamental Christianity. And he also said, Nabil is my friend, and I want him to know about it. That's the appropriate approach. Okay? Because you don't probably know any militant people. Although, who knows? You might run across some somewhere. But if you know somebody who wants to do this peacefully, that's what they're taught oftentimes. People that are brought up in the Western cultures that uh, America and other places in Western culture is peaceful. Okay? So, do they believe that Jesus is God? Nope. Do they believe that Jesus existed? Yes. Did he die on the cross? No. Was he on the cross? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some theories, right? There's some theories that they have to say, well, this Jesus, he's in historical documents. He's in the Bible. Do they believe in the Bible? Sort of. So they believe that the Bible is kind of this book that was corrupted. It was really good at one time, but it was corrupted along the way. Okay? But they believe that the Koran has no corruption. So it's 100% perfect. But the Bible lost its integrity somewhere along the line. So it was good. And so you can find some good things in there. And you can even use it to argue with a Muslim about the things they believe and talk about what they believe. Except that sometimes you'll find, well, they were taught to, to change something or get an answer for something along the way. Okay? They believe the Quran 100% perfect. Okay? This is exactly what it says, and it's what we do. All right? Now, there's not much explanation 
within the Quran itself. But there are many other books written by early Muslims that followed and explained and talked about not only Muhammad's life, but also talked about the Quran, how it was collected, and things that were put together with it, and then explained some things, and there's other things that they got into as well. Okay? So, they do not believe Jesus can be God. How about the Trinity? Do they believe in the Trinity? No. Because what does the Trinity tell you? What is the Trinity? Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, so you named you named what? Three. <laughs> Three. Three persons. But one. One God. Okay. Some people use things like <clears throat> water, steam, and ice, and say it's all water, but it looks different has different textures, touches, temperatures, feelings, acts a little bit different for each one, and yet it's all the same substance. Okay, they use that to explain God. And that's an okay piece. I've heard people say light. When light shines through a prism and it makes that rainbow, you could say, well, that's all light. But when you break it up, what we call white light is the whole color of the spectrum, okay? The roigy biv, right, of the, of the rainbow colors, and it exists within that white light all of these different facets, okay? Each one unique, okay? And yet it's all part of the same. You can walk outside and you can't tell me that, you know, you can't separate different types of light from the sun. Here it is, unless if you look at it through a different lens or a prism or something like that, okay? So there's a bunch of different facets within. So those are a couple ways that people explain it. We'll get into one more um, way that, pe that someone else explains it in, in a little bit, okay? I'll try to remember. I'll try to remember. When we get there, okay? So, they don't believe Jesus can be God, so they don't believe in a trinity. They don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, okay? So, as you look within God's, as you look within the Bible, you find evidence of that. There are many times, there is one God, only one God, okay? And yet, within verses very close to it, it talks about the, the Son, um, the Spirit. It talks about the Father. And within the same verse, many times, it will talk about that, showing you that there is something a little more, um, something a little deeper than we're used to thinking about. We see a character of a person, and we look at them as one being, and that's it. That's that one being. They act that way. That's it. Okay? But God is a much more complex being. And even within the book of Revelation, there could be hints that there is more than just the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he has shown us this and revealed to us himself through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Why a father? We'll get there in a minute. So a father and a son relationship, God wants to show something about who he is. And the Holy Spirit has another unique set of characteristics that God is revealing to us. Okay? So, let's look at 2 Corinthians as we just get into this a little bit. Why does God have a father? Why is that important? You will find as Nabil works through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as Nabil works through his struggles back and forth, he he struggles understanding who God is. Okay? Because in his mind, Allah is this great perfect being that is waiting for judgment. Watching everything you do, waiting for judgment. Okay? And that when he someday comes along and, and, and you don't have enough to weigh you down, there in the good department versus the bad department, you're out. There is no, you belong to me. There is no, you are a son, my son. Okay? That's not, that's foreign to them in their religion. And yet in their life, they are very family oriented. So there is something that they don't understand about what God in the Bible talks about. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 17 and 18, please. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Okay, so here it is. God says, you want to be mine? You want to be my son and daughter? What does that mean? When you do something wrong, does your father or mother or your parent, your legal guardian, whomever, do they get mad? Yeah, right? Any of you have been thrown out of the house and still not allowed back? Not yet. <laughs> You're working on it, but not yet. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> okay. Because there is something deep within a parent, okay, within that person that loves you in that parent role, okay? Whether it's a grandmother or a grandfather, a mother or father, an aunt or uncle, there's someone that says, I care about you because you belong to me. Even if it's an adoptive father, because that's what God is. He adopted us, and he says, if you want to be my child, you come, and I will adopt you, and you'll be mine. You'll be mine. So how does a parent treat the child? Yeah, they might get mad at you, and they might say, don't do that again. Dummy, what are you thinking? Right? <laughs> right? Because they care. They don't want you to keep on messing up your life. That's the relationship of a good father. Now, there are bad fathers out there. There are bad mothers out there. There are bad grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles. 
But a good father, a good mother, a good aunt, a good uncle, a good grandmother, grandfather, whomever, that loves you deeply, they may get mad at you, but you still belong to them. And they treat you that way. They may even punish you, but you still belong to them. There's a connection there, and they say, yeah, that was just stupid to do. And I want to teach you not to do that anymore. And I don't know how to get through to you, except through this or that. But I still want you. You still belong to me. I'm not disowning you. I'm not throwing you out on the street and walking away and never caring about you again. That is a piece that we see in a family and many Muslims see in their families because their families are very close and very tight. And Nabil talks about that and his father and his mother. But the missing piece is this. They do not see that in their God. Nothing like that. And when Nabil finally understood his relationship with God and sin and how he was looked at by God, not to say, well, I've tossed you out, you didn't make the cut. Not like I just weighed you and, and, and you, well, you missed it by a half an ounce. Sorry, you're gone. Okay? It's not the way he was looking at it, and yet he learned that about what the Bible said about God. And it changed his perspective. He began to understand because he already had the experience with his own father. Okay? Did stupid things, and yet his father still loved him. So that's one thing that is very important and is a good piece of, of knowledge to have in a conversation with the difference in what a Muslim has. And as you see and read and look at the story with Nabil, you find he struggles greatly with it, but he sees little pieces of truth, one at a time. And each one comes through a good relationship. He understands his father. He, he, he sees what David does and cares about him more than just firing off, you're wrong, this isn't right, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, okay? Now, as he gets further and further down the track, he's more and more open to really listening to what's right and really not saying, this is what I learned when I grew up and that's what it is, but saying, what's really true? I want to know what's really true. All right? Tonight, he comes against two major, major pieces. Probably the two most major pieces in his belief system, and I told you they are very, very steeped in tradition. And what is most important to them, two things. They base all their faith on Muhammad, and we'll talk about him, and the Quran. They base their belief on that. They, they believe that Muhammad was a wonderful example of a man. And Muhammad, who lived back several hundred years ago, 
Okay. Muhammad was that man that all of heaven looked down and chose him as the mighty prophet. And so when they say, here's what my faith is, I believe in one God, Allah, and his prophet, Muhammad. What's a prophet? Somebody who brings messages from God. Somebody who brings messages from God. How did Muhammad get his prophecies? Ever heard of a guy named Gabriel before? This is... <laughs> you heard of him, huh? Gabriel, according to Muhammad, came down and told him the message from God. Dictated to him what was in the Quran. And Muhammad dictated to others and memorized. Okay? So, how does this mesh in with the Bible? Right? Because they believe sort of in the Bible, like this all happened and Jesus and all of this. So, let's look at two verses that they use. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse number 18. And these are two verses that Nabil himself used to say, here's how the Muslim faith fits in with the Bible. Here's what happened. Now, Jesus is born hundreds of years before, right? And thousands of years before the Old Testament comes along and a guy named Moses comes along. You ever heard of him? I hope so. Okay, Moses chapter 18, I mean, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse number 18, wherever we left off, please, nice and loud. I will rise them up a prophet from among their, their brother, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command. Okay, here it is. This is God talking directly to Moses. I'm going to raise up a prophet. Just like you, Moses. And I'm going to talk directly to him. And I'm going to give him my message. And Nabil looked and said, look, right there. That's Muhammad. Raised up a prophet. Do you know any other prophets that maybe that could be talking about that's like Moses? Let's take one step back for a moment. What is Moses famous for? Most famous. He, he, he split the Red Sea, but what was he doing? Look bigger in the picture. Yes, that's a piece of what it was. Delivering the Israelites. So he went, took them from where? Egypt. Which they were in what? Slavery. Slavery in Egypt. And brought them to? Out of Egypt. 
out of Egypt, out of slavery, right? 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 They're no longer slaves. Whew, this is tough, right? right? So they are slaves bound in Egypt, and he leads them on a pathway to freedom. He is called the Redeemer. He redeemed Israel. Do you know any other prophets maybe like that? Now, normally, you probably don't call him a prophet. Because he's even more than that. Jesus. Right? So, Jesus comes along, but did he have any prophecies? Well, there were lots about him. But what was his message from God? And? He was going to raise himself up in three days, and he was going to die. And he also talked all about the end times, right? There are three chapters, I think, all about the end times, in which he prophesied things like there'll be various, or there'll be uh, earthquakes, in various places. Could be true. Here it is, right? Maybe you've seen that lately, huh? So, there'll be, people will be going to and fro, back and forth. Learning will increase in the end times, okay? He, again, went on and on and on. He was full of prophecies. Not only was he prophesied about, and here was one time when, when, Moses was told about it, and Moses wrote it down, right? This message is there's a prophet coming. A big capital P prophet, like the prophet, right? Right? And so what what Nabil said was, well, Moses isn't really like Jesus at all. But Muhammad, he's like he's like Moses. Okay? And then they say, I'll prove it to you further. Let's go in John chapter 16 and see what Jesus himself had to say about it. Now again, Muhammad's not born yet when Jesus comes along. And this is thousands of years, right, after Moses. John chapter 16, verse number 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay. Even Jesus talked about somebody coming in the future, a comforter. He was going to reprove the world of sin and judgment, okay? So, Nabil says, told you, Muhammad. Long he comes. After Jesus. Jesus even knew about Muhammad coming. If you were to read further in the passage, you would find, in verses beyond, that it talks about the spirit of the Comforter. Okay? This is the Holy Ghost. If you were to continue on throughout the rest of the gospel and finally go into the book of Acts, you would find one day 
that there's a bunch of people coming in or standing in an upper room and the Holy Spirit comes down on top of them. Got little flaming tongues of fire on their head. They speak other languages. They do things that can't be explained except by the supernatural. There is your comforter. Okay? The Holy Spirit. And there are many references to this. But what they're doing is picking and choosing to build their case. Not looking at the Bible as a whole. Not really interested in reading the Bible as a whole. Just interested to say, well, the Bible isn't really true. The Bible doesn't have enough historical background. The Bible doesn't have this. The Bible doesn't have enough... Um, it's not fully... In, um, doesn't have good integrity like the Koran does, okay? But what we looked at in the past was the Bible has more manuscripts than ancient manuscripts dating closer to its origin than any other ancient book ever written. In fact, it has more than all of them all put together. And they are accurate. And you can see exactly from the very beginning up through. Okay? Even in those earliest copies. Even when it's been translated from language to language, you can see... Did the message fully get through from the original Greek or the original Hebrew or the original Chaldee? Okay, did it come through? And you can look because we have them in Greek and Hebrew still. And you can look and see what it's translated. And it says, well, you know what? That Greek word might mean, yes, it means what they said in English, but it might have a little deeper meaning as well. Okay, you can look at that and study as deep as you want. Because the Bible's been picked apart a thousand times, down to every little letter. Okay? But God's Word still stands. Now, when you look at... When you look at what the Muslims believe about Muhammad, they had a picture in their life. Or, in, of his life. Okay? And they said, his life was this perfect life. All of us should be like him. God picked him out. We should be like him. All right? And they also, like I said, they're taught right from wrong. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Most of the time, they really strongly believe that. There are right things to do and wrong things to do. In fact, Nabil was not allowed to even go out with a girl for a long, long time, or ever be alone with her, okay? Those types of things just didn't happen because they said, you're not, you're not allowed to do it. We have high standards, and this is the way we're living. Okay? Those are good things. Those are godly standards. They're of what you can find in the Bible, okay? But one thing that they're missing is this. Let's look at... Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse number 20 through 23, please. What fruit had he 
the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto the holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So this whole concept that they look at and they they say, well, well, Muhammad fit in it. He did mostly all good deeds. Can't even hardly think of anything he ever did wrong. Okay? Which is not true, by the way. But as they're taught, they, they look at that. What does that say? At one time, you used to live where sin controlled you. All right? You're a slave to something in this life. And that's just the truth. You're going to decide to be a slave to something. One or the other. You're either going to be a sin, a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Here's the thing. You can say, well, I don't have to make that decision. If you say you don't have to make that decision, you already did. It's already made. Because what's your nature? To sin. So if you say, well, I'm just not going to do anything about it, it's too late. Right? You, you already did something about it. You're already living in it, and you are born as a slave to sin. If you choose God as your Father, and you ask for forgiveness, and you allow Him to work, and, and are obedient to Him... You can become a slave to righteousness. That does not mean, okay, when you were in your sins, that didn't mean that you didn't do something nice once in a while. Right? Maybe you were a kind person. But you still were a slave to sin. You had something that controlled you, or many things that controlled you. When you chose the pathway to say, I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow God, no matter what. Guess what? Probably didn't get it right all the time. Had times where I messed up again. Can't believe I messed up again. I thought I was supposed to get this right. But you're no longer the slave to it. Okay? You become the slave to righteousness. Yep, you you mess up. Yep, you're not going to get it perfect. But living in this or that you could say, well, I can see how the good and the bad weigh, outweigh each other, maybe. And, but that's not the last verse. The last verse read something different. He was explaining how you've, you've had this struggle, but, but where does the clinching come in verse 23? What does it say? Read it again. Please. One sin, or ten sins, or a million sins, or Googleplex sins. How many sins do you have to have to have the wages to be death? One. Because the wages of sin is death. You did it already. Right? So you can't 
do enough to undo it. It just doesn't exist. But how do you undo it? Well, the next part of that verse. It's a gift. God gives it to you. It's a gift. No other way to get it. You just accept it. Okay? And that is a fundamental shift in the belief of someone who believes as a Muslim. Okay? Someone who is Islamic in their beliefs. All right? So, really hard to grapple around that if you don't know it. And even when you do know it sometimes, it's hard to think of that. Because you think, I don't really deserve this gift to me. God gave me the gift. I had to do, he wanted to give it to me. He was ready to give it to me. He said, you have freedom. It's yours. It's yours. You can't pay me for it. It's yours. Alright? So, Nabil, as he struggles with this and he looks at Muhammad's life, he starts to read. He starts to read the Quran. He starts to look at what is going on in Muhammad's life at the time. Now, it took around 250 years from the time that Muhammad was done telling the Quran okay, to the people that lived around him until it got written down. All right? And there are books that are totally Muslim books, okay, and he names a lot, uh, many of them off in that book. Um, un, being unfamiliar with them uh, is okay, but the idea is this, just to say there are books that talk about the history of Muhammad, talk about the history of how his life went, talk about the history of how this, their Quran was collected up. And what happened over those 250 years was they struggled. Because one guy memorized what Muhammad told him. And he went out and essentially told that to his family and his family's family, his family, family, and family down the line. And so did another guy. And so did another guy. And so did another guy. All were very high up in the founding fathers, okay, we'll call it, of, of this faith. And they kept track of what happened. But 250 years later, they got down the, down the line and said, we need to really write all this down. I'm going to collect this all up and put this all together. And so one man essentially, through a process, begins to collect it all up. But there's missing things here. And that guy doesn't agree with this guy totally opposite, and that guy says something different, and this guy says, well, that's not really true, that's what happened. And so, he chose what he thought was the best, or was the most integrity, 250 years later, okay, that's like me saying, I don't really think George Washington said that, I think this is the best example. I wasn't there. I don't know what he said, right? <laughs> In his tent, he must have said this. No, no, no. You have the things he wrote down, and you have the things other people wrote down about him at his time, and that's what you got to go on, okay? So what he did was he chose 
what he thought was the best. And he took all the rest of it and burned it. Except that you can't burn people's memories away. So those people kept doing what they were doing over here, and those people kept doing what they were doing over here, and disagreeing, until eventually they sort of worked it out over time, however that was. Either time burned it out or whatever. What was really true? When they say, I believe totally in Muhammad and all the things he said, and the Quran 100%, and Nabil began to actually read the history of what happened after... He was critical of the Bible for every little tiny word and thing. He really truthfully looked and said, if this was the Bible, I would blow it apart for this and that and this guy and that guy and trying to suppress the truth. But I was born with this. I was raised with this. I can't just throw this out. But I also can't defend it. And so he got into this conundrum, this really tough spot where he just didn't know what to do. He was struggling with it greatly. All right? And as he read more and more, he began to say, well, okay, I'm going I'm to test it on another thing. Let's not look at that. The Quran has a beautiful cadence with it. And that kind of cadence can only come from God. Writing that has this type of flow and things, well, that comes from God. Until he found that there was a scholar who took sections of the Bible and translated them into Arabic, which is the language that they have the Quran in, that they say 100%, that's where it came from. We've, we've kept it. When, they, when he did that, they read aloud sections of the Bible in in Arabic and there were several Muslims who said that is the most beautiful piece of the Quran I've ever heard because it was not about the text the context of it it was about the language Arabic has a flow to it and it sounds nice to their ear and the more they hear it the more they say well, that's wonderful okay and so he saw some of those inconsistencies that he said, well, I guess I was just raised that way, so that's my preference, right? I might not want to eat squid because I was not raised eating squid. I don't like squid. There are people across the world who say that's wonderful. My grandfather lived in Norway when he was six years old, seven years old. He remembers waking up on Christmas morning smelling lungamus. Lungamus was ground up pigs' hearts and lungs cooked in a pasty soup. Yum. <laughs> he said, I knew it was Christmas when I smelled that. Like, greatest smell ever to him. Okay? There's a lot of, of different, when you're raised in a different culture, you look at things and you say, well, that's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But... Everybody has different tastes, okay? And so you have to be careful because we have a taste of Western living. That's what we know. So be careful. There are people across the world that have a lot of different tastes. And remember, God is a God over all of them. 
though they may not worship him, he still is God over all of them and understands them and their culture and understands them and can be approached through their culture. The culture itself is not bad. Sometimes when they got off track when things fell apart, all right? So what happens? Well, as Nabil looks, he finds that as he's reading about Muhammad's real life, Muhammad several times executed people because he didn't think that they agreed with him. So just kill him, okay? People that were infidels or non-believers in their faith, okay, should be taken out. And you've heard of the word jihad, right? That's something that is supported in Quranic text. It is in there. Now, many of the peaceful Muslims say, well, that's really just, that means inside your heart, you get rid of all the infidel thinking and those things. You don't kill people. And yet, when he when Nabil began to look into what would the context of history, it sure was as physical and and deadly as it could be. Okay? There were things and times and examples that he uses where uh, Muhammad sends in his soldiers to go and wipe out. There's a mother breastfeeding baby with children around her. Kill them. You know? Now, Nabil was shocked to see all this because he'd never really read it, okay? He'd never really read the books that talked about the Quran. Now, you don't find that in the Quran, okay? You find it in the books from the early Muslims that talked about the Quran, the historians of those days, okay? And so he started to read those and find that marriages, okay, the Quran says you can only have four wives. Okay? And you should be faithful to those wives, I guess. <laughs> and that's not typically true of our Western culture. Muslims in our Western culture don't do that. Okay? But in the Eastern culture, they live in countries where that is still true in many times, where they do have more than one wife. All right? But even Muhammad had seven Wives. Okay? So, Nabil started to say, well, wait a minute. Is that really true? How come he's not living by the rules? One of his wives, he took when she was six years old. Okay? You can read the rest of the details, and it's not pleasant. Okay? And even today, you find in many of extreme Muslim cultures that they will take child brides. Kids. Younger than you guys. Often. Okay? Part of their culture. But he began those things, right? Because of whatever he felt like doing. Alright? So, as he was grappling with these stories and reading about these stories, he's like, this just doesn't fit. This just doesn't fit. And then he finds out about the Koran, talks about the slave women. Okay? You should be faithful to your wife, unless if you have a slave woman. Then 
everything's up. Whatever. Whatever you want to do, basically. Okay? If you've taken that woman in an army has gone and taken that woman as a slave, and you've also taken her husband, he found examples written down in history that they were taking those women and having their way with them while their husband was locked away in another cell. Okay? And as he started to look at these things, and these were the basis, the early belief uh, of Islam, okay, the followers of Muhammad in the first couple few hundred years were doing these things, all right? Because people are people. And guess what? Everyone has sinned. You're going to be a slave to sin or righteousness, right? Because God has the truth in this whole thing. You're either going to choose to be with God or not. All right? So here it is. He struggles with this. He goes through. He finds, even though he believes the Quran is just perfectly right, then it's like, well, maybe not. Maybe all that things that happened the first couple hundred years, 250 years, maybe it really isn't all perfect. And he started to try to make things fit in his story, in his head. But instead, he struggled with it because he couldn't quite make it fit. Now, there had been something he'd been taught from a very, very young age. And one thing is, this book, the Koran, came from God because it has very early scientific things that just weren't even known about back then. And they were, they were perfect. And that is proof that God gave him this truth. Okay? He says, one of the things that he uses, and he has a, he has a quote from it. Um, this is from the Quran. He reads this example. Then we made him a sperm in a fixed lodging. Okay? And then we made the sperm a hanging thing. And then made the hanging thing into a chewed thing. And then made the chewed thing into bones. And then clothed the bones with flesh. And then we developed it into another creation. So blessed be Allah, the best of creators. Right? So this is what it says. is When a baby is conceived, this is the order in which it grows. Okay? It goes into the uterus hangs in the uterus, okay, attaches, okay, and it's kind of this lump of flesh for a while, and then as it grows, it grows bones, and then the bones cover over with flesh. But if you really read that, that's not how it happens, right? Because actually the bones and the flesh grow at the same time. You don't grow a skeleton and then cover with flesh. It's not the, the right order. Okay? So, if you want to be very specific and look at these things, you can say, well, it's really not true. So how do you think he can get knowledge like this? Well, there's basic things that you learn about humans as you're growing up and as you go through being an adult, and as you see things in biology and you know what happens, okay, over time you start to learn parts and pieces and it makes sense. And as you see a baby that's born, but or maybe a baby that's 
born early, stillborn, you get knowledge from those things. It's not a pleasant thing. Does it help? Okay. Um, I'll finish up here because I don't think. So, the early leaders, he struggled with that. He finally gets to the very end and he realizes the very scrutiny that I put the Bible underneath, I have to do it if I'm going to be truthful to myself. I have to do the very same thing to the Koran. And it doesn't hold up. Things fall apart. I have to do the same thing to Muhammad that I would do to Jesus. Because I'm going to scrutinize every little thing he does and says. I take this wholesale and believe it, and yet it's not as accurate as what I see other things come out as. So he begins that struggle. He goes and continues. In Psalm 119.11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So this is what I'm, the point I want to tell you is this. When you are looking at your faith, there's only one way really to do it. Become personal with it and read your Bible. Spend time so you know it. Don't expect others just to spoon feed it to you. Spend time in it. Read it so you know it and understand what you believe. Okay? If you don't put it in here, Hide the word in your heart, which means you got to read it, right? Got to read it, got to have it in your brain. It's got to get into your brain through your ears or through your eyes, okay? You put that in your heart, it will help you in ways that you can't even imagine right now, right? And that's where Nabil always just learned here's what you get, here's what you get, here's what you get, and he could regurgitate it all. As a Christian, you risk, run the same risk. We want you to dig in. We want you to read. We want you to question and look and say, maybe I can find something. Look at it and know your faith and believe it because you can go through and dig and read and learn. Okay? If you put your God's word in your heart, you will be a deep person. It's where depth comes from. It's God. God's deepest being in all the universe. Real depth comes from that. Okay? You want to be a real deep person, you do that. Put God's word in your heart, seek after him, and you will find him. He did not, Nabil did not expect to find what he found. But because he truly was seeking for the truth, God was found. Okay? We have a couple more sections we're going to go through before we finish this book up. And... Thank you very much. Have a good evening.